Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Oklahoma. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. On October 13, 2011, News OK reported that a couple who was looking to feed some stray cats behind a local grocery store ran across something out of place. It was a bag, but it wasn't a trash bag or anything else you'd expect to find behind a grocery store. It was a duffel bag. The duffel bag could have been anything. It could have been something someone wanted to throw away that happened to wind up behind the store. It could have belonged to a homeless person who just wanted a safe place to keep their stuff. But the closer they got, the more they noticed a smell. The couple felt like something wasn't right, so they called the police to check it out just in case. And that just-in-case feeling was spot on. When police got on scene and unzipped the duffel bag, News OK reports that the police found a laundry bag. But that's not it. When they opened the laundry bag, they found a body. It was the dismembered body of a woman. Her head had been cut off, her hands and feet were missing, and according to the Daily Mail, it looked like someone had attempted to cut a tattoo off of her back to make her body harder to identify. And at the time, her body was unidentifiable. So it was sent over to the medical examiner's office to try and figure out who this woman was. Everyone waited for days as police combed through missing persons reports and cross-referenced dental records, but by day four on October 17th, the police got a match. The body in the duffel bag was the body of missing 19-year-old Karina Saunders. According to an interview her sister did with KFOR, Karina was sweet and she was funny and she was smart. She had graduated in the spring of 2010 and had even earned a scholarship for accounting. But after high school, her life took a different path. Her sister told the outlet that Karina started smoking weed, but eventually weed wasn't enough and she fell into harder drugs. It was a quick left turn that no one expected, but it didn't seem to last long. According to her sister, Karina actually got clean in September of 2011. Unfortunately, though, that's also when she was reported missing. According to court documents obtained by News 9, who did an incredible job covering this case, Karina didn't have a set residence at the time of her disappearance. She had recently been staying with a family member, but she didn't have a phone or a vehicle, so she would borrow phones from family and friends to communicate, and she would get rides to wherever she wanted to go. According to that court document, Karina left a family member's house on September 28, 2011, and never came back. It wasn't totally unusual to not see Karina for a couple of days, but on October 9th, the outlet reports that the family member Karina had been staying with got a text that they weren't expecting. It was from someone named Savage and read, I'm going to bury you next to Karina. 
No one knows what text came before that, but Karina had borrowed that phone before she left on the 28th, and that, coupled with the fact that they hadn't heard from her since, was enough to send her family to the police station. According to News OK, her mom showed officers the text, told them she was terrified that something had happened to her daughter, and officially reported her missing. It was just four days after that report that her body was found in that duffel bag behind the grocery store. No cause of death was mentioned, but according to CBS News, her autopsy determined that she had died a violent homicidal death, and what was once a missing persons investigation was now a homicide investigation. Karina's case moved extremely fast, but almost too fast. That makes absolutely no sense right now, but it will by the end of this episode. Just one single day after Karina's body was identified, KOCO reported that police were looking for a guy named Cody, who they believed might be connected to the case. He was a culinary arts student who, according to the Oklahoman, hadn't shown up for school or work in a week and had recently pawned a set of culinary knives on the day that he had been reported missing. It sounded pretty sketchy, knowing Karina had been dismembered, so everyone went to town trying to figure out anything they could about this Cody guy. It wasn't long before they landed on his Facebook, and that did not help the situation. According to the outlet, he identified himself as a juggalo, i.e. a fan of the band Insane Clown Posse. In a photo on his Facebook, he could be seen holding up a hatchet, which again did not help the side eyes glaring at him from every direction. For what it's worth, though, one of the logos associated with the band is a hatchet man, basically a little cartoon dude that looks like he's running with a hatchet. His public persona was not doing him any favors, but before anyone could stop Googling, the Oklahoman reported that there was another person of interest. And before anyone could take a break from the person of interest whiplash, they reported that the second person had already turned himself in. What did that even mean, though? No one knew who he was or how he even fit into this picture because everyone was focused on figuring out who Cody was. Days passed with no news on who the second guy was, and police were still looking for Cody. That search wouldn't last long, though, because on October 24th, the Daily Oklahoman reported that Cody had been found. He was questioned by police, and that was it. He was released and no longer considered a person of interest. According to the outlet, Cody told police that his family had mistaken a girl that he'd brought to the house as being Karina, and his story checked out. The pawned knives, the deep dive into his Facebook, and the media coverage drudging up his previous criminal history meant nothing. One person of interest that had turned into two had officially turned into none. The police were back to square one and knew they needed help, so the Republic reports they called in the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit to try and identify a profile of any possible suspects in Karina's murder. The police were telling the public that her murder looked like an isolated incident, but the presence of a federal unit they made 15 seasons of a TV show about 
wasn't easing any panic. Shortly after calling in the BAU, local police held a press conference, and everyone thought this was it. They had done it, they'd found something, they'd arrested someone, there had to have been a break in the case. But there hadn't been. Instead, police said they didn't have any leads, even though they'd interviewed more than 50 people. Fox Oklahoma City reported that it wasn't helping that people were calling in and reporting completely fabricated stories. Another month passed with no news until the Daily Oklahoman came through, reporting that police had executed a search warrant on what they referred to as a known drug dealer who police believed may have been involved in Karina's death. The man in question was a 33-year-old named Jimmy. In going through Jimmy's cell phone, they were able to make not one, but three arrests, none of which had anything to do with Karina. They were for drug trafficking, among other charges, but nonetheless, Karina's case still seemed to hover around Jimmy, even though he hadn't been charged in relation to it. Jimmy was certainly in jail, but it wasn't for murder. That being said, the suspicion around him only grew when in December of 2011, while he was in jail, a woman came forward claiming that on October 9th, the day Karina's family member got that text, she was standing on the street when News 9 reports a man drove up, opened his door, forced her inside, blindfolded her, and then drove her to a house. Once at the house, she claimed that she was forced to watch the torture and murder of Karina Saunders and was told that this is what happens when you don't cooperate. She was eventually released and had some friends come to pick her up. News 9 says that police were able to track down those friends who picked her up and that they validated that she was in extreme shock and had bruises in the shapes of fingers and hands. This witness sent Karina's case into high gear. According to the outlet, police said that they believe Karina was loosely associated with people in drug and human trafficking organizations. And while they don't believe that she was involved in any illegal activities, she may have been a random target used to send a message. With this new information out there, a new name popped up. According to News 9, it was a 31-year-old named Francisco. Police were adamant that he wasn't a suspect, but that they thought he might have important information regarding Karina's murder. In fact, they believed that several people were involved who hadn't been caught yet. The day after Francisco's name was released in the media, he was arrested. But once again, his charges had nothing to do with Karina. He was arrested on charges of drug trafficking and, of all things, failure to pay child support. Shortly after Francisco was arrested, KOCO reported that police were looking for another man that they believed might be involved in Karina's murder a man named Michael, and it was reported that he was one of the men who lived in the apartment. I know we haven't mentioned an apartment specifically or who else might have lived there, but I'm going off of what media reports have stated, and you're not the only one who's had a hard time keeping up. According to the Daily Mail, neighbors said that this apartment was a known drug den and possibly a brothel filled with women. Back in 2010, the outlet reports that a sex offender tried to kill himself in it, and in 2011, someone tried to set it on fire. 
To make this more suspicious, when police went to the house to try and collect any kind of evidence, the Daily Mail reports that it smelled like bleach, looked like it had been recently cleaned, and found hair and blood in the freezer and a blood-stained knife. If you're wondering what in the guess who is happening here, you're not alone. When it came to Michael, police didn't have to look far because, according to KOCO, he was already in jail on some other unrelated charges. It's at this point in the story that you're probably thinking that the hair in the freezer or the blood on the knife would result in some kind of break in the case or even a blurb in the news, but that didn't happen. After what felt like major progress in the investigation, there was nothing. Months and months and months went by with absolutely no news until July of 2012, when all of a sudden, there were charges, and this time, they did have to do with Karina. According to KFOR, not one, but two men had been formally charged with the first-degree murder of Karina Saunders. One of the men charged was Jimmy, the one we had mentioned earlier in the episode. KFOR was able to get a copy of the probable cause affidavit, and according to that, on October 11th, two days after that text to Karina's family, an independent witness was at a two-story house on South Harvey when she says Karina showed up with another woman and Jimmy was there when Karina showed up. The other woman who showed up with Karina said that she witnessed Karina's murder and was able to escape out of a window. While Jimmy was in jail, the affidavit states that another detainee said that Jimmy wrote him notes saying that he was there when Karina was murdered and shared with him the details of Karina's dismemberment that law enforcement said no one else knew at the time. For example, that Karina's arms and legs had been cut off. It states that in another note, Jimmy detailed the material Karina had been wrapped in, which law enforcement also said no one else knew about. It seems strange that a guy in on drug charges with heat on him for Karina's murder would take to physically writing down the details of her death, but the affidavit said that the handwriting appeared to match and with that, a first-degree murder charge was handed down. But let's not forget that a second man had been arrested. This guy was a 37-year-old man named Luis and he kind of came out of left field. The Daily Mail reports that he was actually a former kindergarten teacher. According to the probable cause affidavit that News 9 was able to get a hold of, Luis was arrested after the woman Karina had gone to the house with on October 11th, told police that she had witnessed Luis beat Karina, tie her up, and then drag her upstairs and tie her to a table. This woman was really specific when she described what was used to tie Karina up with, saying it was rope and thin twine, which matched injuries noted in Karina's autopsy report, including ligature marks on her shins. The woman told police that once Karina was tied to the table, she witnessed Louise cut off her right foot and then try to cut off her left foot before the saw broke. Again, the injuries she reported matched the injuries in Karina's autopsy report. 
But that's not all. The affidavit goes on to talk about another woman who came forward to say that she was at the house when Karina got there, though she left shortly after. Even though she wasn't there when the murder happened, she had been told that there was a video of it. So, one day when she and Luis were at a hotel, she waited for him to go to the bathroom so she could take a look through his phone. According to the affidavit, it's there that she found the video of Karina's murder and said that she recognized Luis as the man cutting off her foot. With that, Luis was also charged with Karina's murder. Finally, there was movement, but it still felt a little confusing. Where did Luis come from and how was he connected to Jimmy? Why didn't Jimmy's report mention Luis and why didn't Luis's report mention Jimmy? And this report says that it all happened on the 11th, so what was that text about that mentioned burying someone next to Karina on the 9th? And what about that witness who said that she was kidnapped and forced to watch Karina's murder on the 9th? There were a lot of things that weren't adding up, but not a lot of questions were being asked because finally it felt like there was some justice coming. With both men in jail, police were on a mission to find this video. And according to court documents obtained by the Daily Oklahoman, a woman who claimed to have it agreed to meet up with police and give it to them. But she wound up backing out, saying that she was scared, which who wouldn't be? Though it looks like her ghosting the police was enough to get them a warrant because the outlet reports that a laptop and two zip drives or cameras were recovered from a motel she was staying at. I'd love to tell you that following this, there was some major break and that video had been found, but that didn't happen. It wasn't until September of 2012 that there was any movement at all, and it was simply that the DA's office was asking that the OSBI, the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, come in and take over the case. According to News 9, it was to give Karina's case fresh eyes and to utilize greater resources. Five more months passed, and just before Jimmy and Luis were scheduled to have their preliminary hearing, the unthinkable happened. The charges against both Jimmy and Luis were being dropped due to lack of evidence. As it turns out, KOCO reports that one of the witnesses who says that she was there during Karina's murder was now saying that she wasn't. According to the Daily Mail, this witness's attorney said that she was repeating what someone else had said, but believes that what she said was true. According to the outlet, it looks like this witness was in some trouble herself, and there's been talk in later documents that allude to the idea that she might have been trying to get herself out of her own trouble by saying what she did. By late February of 2013, both murder charges had been officially dropped but dropped without prejudice, which meant that they could be charged again if the evidence ever supported it. Now, Jimmy still remained in jail for his drug charges, but Luis was released and free to go. When News 9 reached out to his attorney and asked what they thought about the request for the OSBI to take over the case, his attorney told them, Luis is extremely pleased with the decision to involve the OSBI. From day one, we have had serious questions and concerns about the poor investigation. We remain confident that Luis will be exonerated and this late investigative effort supports our contention. Of equal concern is the fact that the actual killer is still at large. 
And once again, the investigation into Karina's death was back at square one. Two months after the charges were dropped, the OSBI announced that they were offering a $10,000 reward for any information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for Karina's murder. Five months later, shit hit the fan, but probably not in the way anyone expected it to. News 9 came out reporting that one of the detectives on Karina's case had been let go. According to them, not only had he been let go, he had been charged with 10 counts of larceny of a controlled substance after he was accused of taking prescription drugs from the evidence room when they were scheduled to be destroyed. Four months after that detective was let go, another detective on Karina's case was also let go. Nothing ever detailed what prompted this other than the fact that an internal investigation had led to his release. A month after the second officer was let go, the Oklahoman reports that Luis decided that it was time to file a lawsuit. He filed it against the chief of police and two other officers in the department, claiming that they used deceptive, misleading, manipulative, and illegal tactics to manipulate and fabricate the criminal case. In a piece written by Joe Harrison with Courthouse News, the lawsuit also claimed that they were negligent, falsely arrested him, coerced testimony, fabricated evidence, and ignored exculpatory information to build a case against him, which could have resulted in the death penalty. According to this piece, the lawsuit alleges that Luis was actually in police custody at the time that they say Karina was killed, therefore he couldn't have killed her. And if true, what in the actual fuck is happening here? If Luis had been in police custody the whole time, where did all of those witness statements come from? According to News 9, the lawsuit claims that certain witnesses in the case weren't arrested or charged and were allowed to keep illegal substances found on them and were promised leniency in other unrelated cases. This all sounds ridiculously wild. But according to the Oklahoman, the department settled the lawsuit for $50,000. It gets worse, though. Remember those two detectives that had been let go? Well, according to the outlet, both of them were reinstated through arbitration. Arbitration is essentially an appeal of a decision overseed and ruled on by a neutral party. A neutral party that decided that both of these detectives should get their jobs back. According to a piece by Stephen Russian with Vanderbilt Law Review, when it comes to law enforcement, between 2006 and 2020, arbitration reduced or overturned 52% of cases. In 46% of cases specifically related to termination, arbitrators ordered departments to rehire terminated officers. Do with that what you will. Two years went by with absolutely no updates in this case until 2015 when it was time for Jimmy's parole hearing. Remember, he was still in jail on those drug charges. News 9 reports that Karina's mom showed up to the hearing with a petition of over 1,700 signatures asking to keep him in jail. And it worked. Jimmy's parole was denied, but he was eventually released later that same year on what the Oklahoman says was good time and work credits. 
Again, I would love to tell you that there was some kind of movement in Karina's case in the following months, or even just the following years, but that's just not what happened. In reading warrants obtained by BuzzFeed, the following developments in Karina's case were kind of a shit show and involved three different accounts of one story. The first came from a woman named Judy, who said that she and Karina had been staying at some guy named James's house in the two weeks prior to Karina's murder. Judy said that she went to run an errand one day and came back to James's house to find Karina allegedly high with James wanting her out. Judy says that she and Karina left to go to a casino in town where they stayed all night. The following day, Judy says that she and Karina went back to James's house to get Karina's stuff, and then Judy dropped Karina off at Judy's daughter's boyfriend's house. Judy says that when she came by the next day to check on Karina, Judy's daughter told her that Karina had left in a red truck and that they hadn't seen her since. But... Judy's daughter had a different version of that story. In her version, she says that she and her mom were the ones who went to the casino and that it was there that Karina had gotten into that red pickup truck. According to the Daily Mail, several women pleaded with Karina not to get into that truck, and CBS News reports that the man in the truck had sleeve tattoos up both of his arms. In all of the pictures I've seen, neither Jimmy nor Luis have sleeve tattoos. But was there ever a truck to begin with? Because James, the guy that Judy claims she and Karina had been staying with, had a whole different version of events. James said that it was Judy who had given the drugs to Karina and that he had asked Judy what she had given her. He said that the story of Judy showing up and finding Karina high just wasn't true. There was talk about Judy refusing to traffic some drugs for the cartel and having a drug debt with them and that someone was on their way to pick up Judy so that they could talk about it. The warrant obtained by BuzzFeed states that according to James, a Hispanic male in an SUV showed up at his house. He says that Judy and Karina got in and that's the last time he ever saw Karina. It doesn't end there, though, because James said that a couple of days after this, Judy called him crying so hard that he couldn't understand what she was saying. And when she got back to his house, he said that Judy looked like she was in shock and was having trouble breathing. In the scheme of this case, it sounded like this could really be something, whether it was the man in the SUV or the man in the red pickup truck. But either way, it sounded like Judy might have known at least something. But Karina's case continued on, and the waiting game did too. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The following year, Fox 25 introduced someone new to the case. 
It was a guy named Kenny who had allegedly made a nude video of Karina in an effort to pimp her out. As it turns out, Crime Stoppers had actually gotten a couple of tips about this guy. According to a warrant obtained by BuzzFeed, the first tip was that someone had overheard a conversation in the parking lot of a convenience store where someone said that Kenny had driven Karina to the location she was killed at and that he buried her clothing and belongings. The second tip was that the clothes Karina was killed in were at Kenny's house. KFOR reports that for three days, excavation crews dug up the backyard of Kenny's home, including another home he once lived at, and while News 9 reports that they found a folding knife, a windbreaker jacket, a shirt, and slip-on shoes, it doesn't look like law enforcement has ever been able to tie any of those items to Karina's case. Two more years passed, and in October of 2019, News 9 got a copy of a new warrant. This time, there was a familiar name. Police wanted access to the Facebook account of Savage, the guy who had sent the I'm going to bury you text four days before Karina's body was found. So we're back to the first guy now. The warrant went on to say that Savage had written a happy birthday message to Karina's Facebook wall in July of 2011. When a friend of Karina's saw it, he messaged her to tell her that his family knew Savage and that he was bad news. Two months after being warned about Savage herself, Karina messaged a friend of hers who she noticed was friends with Savage on Facebook, and Karina told her friend to delete him, trust me. This seemed kind of small compared to all of the other warrants in Karina's case, but the end of the warrant escalated quickly, saying, and I quote, There is probable cause to believe that the Facebook account, insert link here, was used for murder. The warrant was granted, and in Savage's messages, News 9 reports that they found a conversation between him and a guy named Ronnie. Ronnie told Savage, I know you killed Karina, and I'm going to bring you to justice. Savage asked Ronnie if he had a warrant, to which Ronnie replied, How would I? You know what you did. It looks like the two of them might have been typing at the same time, because Savage responded with LOL, and Ronnie continued on to say, And I know too. Savage ended the conversation with, I know, I'm so ashamed. It's hard to interpret tone here, but these messages were a big enough deal to make the news. In the years since those messages, updates on Karina's case have been sparse. In 2020, News 9 reported that the woman who claimed Jimmy had kidnapped her and taken her to watch the torture and murder of Karina was arrested herself after attempting to kidnap a child from an ice rink in broad daylight. And speaking of Jimmy, he actually requested to speak to Karina's parents and did so exclusively with News 9. I'll link the interview in Karina's highlight. In the interview, he said that when he was arrested, he thought he was just being brought in on drug charges until law enforcement started talking to him about Karina and a woman who claimed he had kidnapped her. Jimmy said that he had taken a polygraph and passed, and that he had never even met Luis. November of last year was the last real break in the case that I could find, and it was in the form of a sketch. The sketch looks like a Caucasian male with dark wavy hair and a short dark beard. The sketch is honestly pretty good, and I feel like if you knew this guy, you'd recognize it. 
Police released it, saying that they needed to talk to whoever this man was because he had been seen in the area at the time of Karina's death and were clear once again that he wasn't a suspect, just someone they wanted to talk to. Whether or not they've identified or found this man, no one really knows. As of today, no one is in custody for Karina's murder, and though we've gone through a host of persons of interest and witness statements, as of yet, none of them have resulted in any charges that stuck. As far as Karina's family, they hold on to hope every single day that there will be justice and they don't plan on backing down until it's done. In fact, Karina's sister told KFOR that she's currently studying to be a detective and dedicates her time to educating people on the dangers of human trafficking. If you know anything about the murder of Karina Saunders or you know anything about that potential video, please call the OSBI at 1-800-522-8017 or email tips at osbi.ok.gov. You can remain anonymous. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Karina's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. I know I say continue wrong and my voice is gone. Please forgive me. Don't come at me.